What an awesome thing it is to be here in God's house on a Wednesday night. And uh, yeah, for the women, just tomorrow, make sure that you, you come out at 7 o'clock and invite somebody to come and be a part of what God is going to do through prayer and through worship. This last uh, Sunday at 10 o'clock, we meet with the servants and, and we kind of opened it up to see if anybody had any prayer requests. And, and just the majority and a good, good percentage of the people that were here that day um, just started to break down because of all the needs represented, right? Um, I like to think of the church as just a hospital, right? It's been said before, a hospital for people to come and, and their needs be met through prayer and through fasting. And that's exactly why we have prayer nights for the, the church together, for the men and for the women. And we're going to talk a lot about prayer today. In fact, prayer, the power of prayer and the power of fasting as well. That's just so important. So we are in the eighth chapter of the book of Ezra. It has only 10 chapters and we've gone very slowly through them. Because we don't want to miss the lessons on the way there. And I think that sometimes when we are in a rush and we just want to get there, we miss out on all these little lessons that God has for us on the journey. And we talked about it even last week that the, the journey that God takes us in is just as important as the destination of where He wants to get us to. Because that process makes us more like Christ and prepares us now for what He has for us. You see, in Ezra chapter 8 now, we're going to talk about those exiles or those now second wave of people that came from uh, now Babylon that were in captivity, that were exiled out, right? They're going to come back into Jerusalem and they're going to follow now Ezra as he comes in and he ushers in the word of God. You see, what does Ezra do here? And I want you to know this very uh, plainly and very simply, Ezra does one thing. He's going to revive spiritually what has already been rebuilt physically. He's going to revive spiritually what has been rebuilt physically. It's not only enough to rebuild physically for the nation of Israel to move back into Jerusalem, for the nation of Israel to build their house now, the temple of the house of God now in Jerusalem again. They have to now revive spiritually what is rebuilt physically. And I want us to ask ourselves that question. Is, has God or is God steering a revival in what we're building physically? Is He reviving it spiritually? What good is it to have a building, a people, a place, now a space, if we are not now spiritual about it and say, Lord, we want you to revive us spiritually more than physically, we want it to revive us now spiritually. You see, more than a big church, what we really want is a healthy church. More than a big outcome, what we want is a healthy outcome. And that's what you see take place. That now this is a healthy outcome out of prayer, out of the Word of God, and out of here the Holy Spirit, Ezra's being symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And we see in chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit does only what the Holy Spirit can do. Maybe today you're in a situation in life where you have to say, Lord, I need the Holy Spirit to do only what the Holy Spirit can do. Because it's only the hand of God that's going to turn this situation around. It's only the Holy Spirit that can make a difference now. The difference maker is the Holy Spirit. And without it, we're going to fall short. You see, our natural resources are limited, but our supernatural resources, which are the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in prayer, those are unlimited. 
And sometimes we focus on the limited resources, which is our hands, instead of the hand of God. In Ezra chapter 7, it said that Ezra prepared his heart to do one thing, to seek, to do, and to teach the Word of God. He prepared his heart to seek the Word of God. He prepared his heart to do the Word of God. And then he prepared his heart also to teach the Word of God. What do we need? Those, those three now phases in that order. We need the preparation. We need the application of the Word of God. And we need the communication of the Word of God. We need to prepare our hearts to seek the Word of God. Prepare our hearts to obey the Word of God. And then also prepare our hearts to communicate the Word of God. That's the philosophy of all life and all ministry. That, I, that we would seek it, that we would do it, and that we would teach the Word of God in prayer. Now in verse 22 of chapter 8, which is the main verse that we're going to concentrate on today, teaches us that the constant theme of this chapter is that the hand of God is good on all those who seek Him. And maybe today you're saying, well, I need the hand of God to intervene. I need the hand of God to step in now. Well, the hand of God is good to all those who seek Him. You want the hand of God to be good on your behalf? You want the hand of God to protect you on your behalf? Then the hand of God is good on those who seek Him. You see, the hand of God does three things in this chapter. It guides, it protects, and it provides. What does it do? It protects, it guides, and it provides. The hand of God protects, the hand of God guides, and the hand of God provides. And not only do we need the hand of God to stir our hearts, we need the hand of God also to turn our hearts to Him. So today we're going to see what's going to happen now as Ezra is now going back to Jerusalem. And this is what happens. These are the people that are following Him. Chapter 8 of Ezra, verse 1. These are the heads of their fathers' houses, that, that the, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me, Ezra speaking, from Babylon in the reign of King Oxerxes. So you had King Darius, you had King Cyrus, you had King Oxerxes, and it says here, of the sons of Phinehas, here Gershom, the son of Ithamar, Daniel, the sons of David, Hattush. So here from verse 1 all the way to verse 15, he's going to give us a list of names of those that went with him. I'm going to let you read those names on your own. <laughs> and we're going to go to verse 16 now. That way I don't get a tongue twister so early on in the message. <laughs> but it says here now, verse 15 now, as we pick up after the list of the names of those that returned with Ezra, now he's finally going. He has the letters. He has the offering that, that the king gave to him so that they can build the house of God, so that they can, they can put in the treasuries of the house of God. He has the articles of gold, the instruments, everything to take back to the house of God now. And he has this list of people from verse 1 to verse 14. Now he's going in the journey to return now to Jerusalem. But if something happens here in verse 15... Now I gather them by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there three days. And I looked among the people and the priest and found none of the sons of Levi there. What does he do now? You see Ezra is a le leader. Not only is he a, a, a leader with spiritual gifts, 
as of the Holy Spirit ushering the Word of God for us and to us, right? But also, He's guiding the people back to Jerusalem. But He does one thing in verse 15. It says He gathers them. Number one, what does He do? He gathers the people as a shepherd. He was their leader. And He gathers them together by the river. And I looked among the people. That means that He stopped and He started to look among the people and He notices something. You know why the reason why sometimes we don't notice things? Because we don't stop to look. <laughs> sometimes we don't know the need because we're not looking for the need. <laughs> You're not looking for needs. But when you say, Lord, open my eyes to the needs around, and he starts to open your eyes, then you're able to meet those needs. So now Ezra here, which his name means helper, symbolic or a type of the Holy Spirit, here shows us what the church needs. You want to know what the church needs? You want to know what you need, what your family needs? And ask the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will guide you and then open up your eyes. This is what you need. And look what it says in verse 15. And I looked among the people and the priests. So he looked upon all the people and the priests that were going back to Jerusalem. And I found none of the sons of Levi there. What were they doing here? What took place here in now Jerusalem as they're going back from Babylon to Jerusalem that they were lacking Levites they were lacking Levites I found no Levites there he said I looked and I stopped and there were no sons of Levi there that means that when the king said everyone who wants to volunteer to go back to Jerusalem follow Ezra right now you have full permission all the Levites decided to stay back is that has that been us sometimes that, that we're holding back from going to the house of God and rebuilding. In fact, the Levites were a special people that back in the Old Testament through Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers and Leviticus, you see that God separated the Levites. And He didn't give the Levites any split land from the promised land because they were the ones that were to be ministers in the house of God. Levites were the servants for the house of God. But they were missing. <laughs> you think about that. He has everyone follow him. He stops and he says, wait a minute. Where are the Levites? Where are the servants for the house of God? None of them have come. You see, the Levites in Ezra's day, they either did not know who they were, or they did not want to be who God called them to be. You see, there, there's two things. You either don't know what God, who you are, how God called you to be, or you just simply do not want to take that responsibility. They were rejecting their identity and they were rejecting their role. Are you rejecting your role? You know what your role is as a Levite type? It's to be those that are wholly separated, but those that are dedicated to serve in God's house. It's always interesting to see how many people want to come to church to receive but how many people actually want to come to church to give? You see, there was none that followed that were going to sign up as Levites to serve in the house of God. They'd rather be in exile in Babylon than being in the temple in Jerusalem. Where would you rather be? Would you rather be in Babylon or would you rather be in Jerusalem? Babylon is where you're exiled from the house and the presence of God. But you're invited to willingly come to Jerusalem and the Levites were missing. You see, the Levites existed to minister in the temple, and they needed to learn here to embrace their role and serve in the house of God. Do you know that? That you have that type of role and responsibility that you are called to serve in the house of God? 
But here Ezra does one thing. He said, this situation cannot continue. We cannot move forward without Levites. We're never going to get to Jerusalem if the Levites don't come with us. And he starts to confront this issue of maybe laziness or sin in these Levites that they did not want to step out. You see, it's never loving to let them linger in laziness or in sin. It's never a loving thing to do that. We cannot continue without confrontation. And he's going to confront these Levites and said, Why haven't you come? And it says in verse 16, Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathah, Jerob, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leaders. It said here, look, I went and I called these leaders here. Also for Joriah and Elnathan, men of understanding. What is, he, what is he looking for in these men? He said, I want to go. I went and I called among those that are with us, men of good discernment, men that I can give instruction to. So he calls these men because he's going to send them back to grouse some Levites to come with them. And look what he said. What kind of men is he looking for to send? Men of understanding. You want to be a man of understanding, a woman of understanding? You have to be very connected to the Holy Spirit. The only way that you can have discernment is through the Holy Spirit. Isn't the Holy Spirit the helper type, the one that called those men of understanding? Because they were discerning and they were able and responsible to be able to carry on this task. And it says that I gave them a command for Ido and the chief men of that place of Kesipha. And I told them what they should say to Ido and his brethren, the Nethanim, at the place of Kasaphia, that they should bring us servants for the house of God. Man, they should bring us servants for the house of God. I told them what to say. I commanded them. And then I also told them what to say. I gave them instructions on what they ought to say. Have you ever been in a position where you have to serve in ministry and say, well, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't want to teach the kids. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to say. I can't evangelize. I don't, the words won't come out. I don't know what verses to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. <laughs> Isn't that amazing here that he said, not only am I going to send them, I'm also going to put my words in their mouth so they know exactly what to say. That's what the Holy Spirit does. When the Holy Spirit sends, he also anoints and puts his words, the Holy Spirit's words in our mouth. In John 14, 26, it says, but the helper, Jesus said, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, it says, he will teach you all things. He will give you understanding. That's what teacher means. He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance the things that I said to you. You know what the Holy Spirit does? It brings to remembrance. That means that when you're evangelizing or when you're teaching, when you're serving in the house of God, when you're going to give a message, the Holy Spirit ministers to you and brings to remembrance the things that have already been ministered to you when you spend time in fellowship with the Lord. But the only way the Holy Spirit can remind you of something is when you invest in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit only brings to remembrance what took place in your fellowship time with you and the Lord. The Holy Spirit can't have you remember something that you've never encountered before. So He sends them, He puts the word, their, His words in their mouth, and the Holy Spirit knows what the church needs. Understand here. Then, here, here it is again, by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding of the sons of Malai, the son of Levi, the
the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and brothers, 18 men. You see how he starts off in verse 18. What does he do? He always gives glory to God. And he says, by the hand, the good hand of God that was upon us, we received help. Because of the good hand that's upon this church, you are all here right now. Because of the good hand that is upon us, we have a children's ministry. Because of the good hand that is upon us, we have this place so that we can meet. And here, even Ezra said, because of the good hand that was upon us, Levites actually were provided for the house of God. If we want the Lord to provide more servants for the house of God, we have to ask, Lord, we want your hand upon this place so that you can provide from within now the Levites or the servants of the house of God. And it says here in verse 19, And Hashabiah, it says, And with him here, Jeshiah, the son of Merari, his brothers and their sons, 20 men. So here, they bring a family of 20 men to serve here. Also, the Nethanim, whom David and all the leaders had appointed, the original families of the original servants of the house of God in Jerusalem that was taken over to Babylon. That original group and family now is being brought back to the house of God as Levites. It said here, appointed for service of the Levites, 220 Nethanim. All of them were designated by name. So now you see that 260 servants are added now to this place to be able to serve. What do they do, these Levites? They left everything for the kingdom of God. And they said, you know what, nothing can hold us back because Ezra paused and said, no, we need your help. Jump in. And they set out to pursue God. Have you set out to pursue God today? Where you can say, I'm not going to let anything stop me now. I'm not going to let anything hold me back. I'm going to go and I'm going to serve God. You see, now where they're going, they're going to serve God. They're going to know that there is a dangerous road ahead. Why is there a dangerous road ahead? When you sign up to serve God, it's not an easy road. In fact, you sign up for a hard road. You want to live an easy life? Then don't serve God. But the moment you start serving God, it's the moment that the enemy is going to come and start to attack your life. The closer that you get to those front lines of ministry to serve God, the bigger threat you become to the enemy and he's going to come and try to destroy you because he doesn't want you to serve the Lord. And now here, the Levites and Ezra and the entire now, a second wave of Jerusalem that are going back. Now the Israelites that are going back to Jerusalem are coming and they know now that as they're setting out to pursue God, there's a dangerous road ahead of them. Why? Because they have to go through their enemies. They have to go through those camps of people that don't want them, that are going to ambush them. And guess what they have with them? They have gold. They have silver. They have the articles. They have money now. So what exactly are they worried about? They're worried about their safety. They're worried about the safety of their children, the safety of their families. They're worried about their possessions that they're taking. But they learn here on their journey, just like me and you learn on our journey, that the Lord is our protector. The Lord is our protector. Jehovah Sabaoth. The Lord our protector. Why do we need the Lord to be our protector? Because we need Him to protect us on that journey of ministry. We need Him to protect us on the journey to the house of God. We need Him to protect us as we set out to pursue God, to protect our marriages, our families, our children, our church. When we set out to pursue God, we need the Lord's protection. And the only way we get it is by the hand of God. Are you looking for the Lord's protection? They're going to learn that the Lord protects, that it's His hand that protects. So it says here now in verse 21, Then I proclaimed a fast there. He stopped and he says, you know what? We're about to set out now to our enemies. 
And if you want protection, then it's going to also require that you seek the Lord and you rely on God's power versus man's power. You know how you rely on God's power? By being fully dependent upon God and not man. And here he shows, Ezra shows, I really believe what I teach and what I say, he's saying. I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. I'm not going to rely on the power that comes from man. I'm going to rely on the protection that comes from God. I'm going to rely on the power that comes from God now. And he proclaims a fast. You see, what do you rely on when your safety is threatened? When your finances are threatened? When your possessions are threatened? When your family is threatened? What do you rely on? Ezra knows we're, there's a dangerous road ahead. But because he knew the Word of God, he also knew what to do. When you know the Word of God, you know exactly what to do. You go to the power of prayer and you go to the power of fasting. It's interesting that the Bible talks a lot about fasting, but little do we actually practice it. The Bible says, and Jesus says, when you pray, when you fast, and when you give. It doesn't say, if you pray, if you fast, or if you end up giving. No, it says when you do it, I want you to do it this way. Because God knows that there is a lot of power in prayer, there is a lot of power in fasting, and there is a lot of power in generosity. And He orders people to fast, but not only to fast, which means to abstain yourself from the flesh, right? From your primary fleshly desires. You're going to put those aside so that you can singly-minded focus and seek and pursue God. That's what fasting means. It doesn't mean you're just going on a diet. It doesn't mean you're just now watching TV. It doesn't mean you just give up coffee. It means that you're putting that aside and everything of the flesh aside so that you can singly-minded, minded, focus and discipline yourself to seek the Lord. But he orders a fast to abstain from the flesh because he wants total seeking of the Lord. And it says here in verse 21, a faster at the river of Ahava that we might, look what it says, when you fast, what, what kind of attitude do they want him to have? That we might humble ourselves before our God. Not only a fast, not only a seeking of God, but also that we might humble ourselves before our God. You see, when you go fasting, you're also, what you're doing is you're going in humility. You're going into humility because humility is a form of dependency now. And he says, we want to abstain from the flesh fast and humble ourselves. See, you can't seek the Lord without humbling yourself. You can't say, you know what, I, I'm very resentful, I'm very unforgiving, but I'm seeking the Lord. Well, yes, you can do that, but you have to ask the Lord, Lord, soften my heart. I need to be humbled. I need to humble myself before you so that I can seek you. For what reason here? Before our God, to seek Him. Humble, we want to fast, number one. We want to humble ourselves, number two. And we want to seek Him, number three. For what? For the right way for us, our little ones, and our possessions. You see, this is what we need, direction. You want direction? You want direction that comes with protection? It comes and it starts with verse 21, where you don't make decisions on your own because you're desperate. When you're disciplined and you stop, you said, I'm going to fast. I'm actually going to fast because I want to know the right way. I don't want to know the wrong way. I don't want to just get there. I want to get there the right way. Too many times we're interested in just getting there, but do we want to get there the right way? Do we want to get there with our families? Do we want to get there with our little ones? Or are we going to sacrifice all of that at the expense of getting there? And it happens all the time. 
That at the expense of getting there, we sacrifice everything that God has for us that He wants us to take with us there, that promised land. No, Lord, let us do it the right way. We don't want to do ministry the wrong way. But what is Ezra concerned about? He's concerned here. Look what he says in verse 21. He's concerned for the right way for the little ones and for their possessions. He's saying we're not going to get there the wrong way. We're not going to get there. And once we get there, we look back and our little ones, our family, our possessions were all ripped off and nothing is there that God has given us because we didn't do it the right way. You see, literally here when he says the right way, he means the straight way. And that's what it means, the straight way, not making decisions on your own, but depending on God as your primary and only source. You're submitting to God when you're fasting to protect your children, to protect your goods as you travel. You know what they were fasting for and praying for? They were fasting and praying for traveling mercies. Lord, we know that you've called us to go this direction. But on our way that direction, we're going to fast and we're going to humble ourselves because we don't know the right way and only you know the right way. And when we get there, we don't want to get there at the expense of our little ones, at the expense of our spouses, at the expense of our possessions. We want to do this the right way. And he understood the power of spiritual fasting and of prayer. And he demonstrated this. Therefore, he called the fast. He didn't say, I'm just going to fast. He said, we're all fasting here. So when, the, when so you hear it at church and say, you know, everyone's going to fast and pray. And they said, well, they can't make me fast and pray. Look what Ezra does. Everyone's fasting and everyone's praying here because we want to seek the Lord the right way. We want to seek Him for reals. We don't want to just pray. We want to humble ourselves because humility also means repentance. Just like repentance means humility. And when you fast, you're coming in repentance and in humility saying, Lord, I don't know. I need direction. I love what Andrew Murray says when he talks about fasting. He says, fasting helps express, deepens, confirms the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. Are you willing to sacrifice anything so that you can seek the kingdom of God? Andrew Bonner, then he goes on and he says, fasting is abstaining from anything that hinders prayer. I love that. I'm going to read it to you again. He says, fasting is abstaining from anything that hinders prayer. Lord, if TV hinders prayer, then I'm fasting TV. If my phone hinders prayer, then I'm fasting my phone. If eating these meals maybe hinder my prayer life because I'm always thinking about me and myself and delighting myself in these delicacies that I'm going to put those aside because I don't want to hinder prayer. Fasting is abstaining from anything that hinders prayer. And it says here, verse 22, for I was ashamed. <laughs> Look what he says. I was going to fast because I'd rather fast then go and be ashamed in the presence of the king when I already told him that I depended on God. I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of the soldiers and the horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road because we had spoken to the king saying, the hand of our God is good upon all those who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against those who forsake him. He already told now in chapter 7 here, in verse 28, Ezra told the king, we believe that the hand of God is good on those who seek him. 
and that He is good upon us and He will protect us. So He's saying in verse 22, I believe what I said, that God would deliver us, that God would protect us. So now I'm ashamed to go ask man for something that I already said that God's going to provide for me. How is it that I'm going to go ask now the king for help when I know that the Lord is going to provide? I already said it. And he's saying here in verse 22, I'm ashamed to go ask for an escort of protection when I told the king that I believe that God can protect me. You see, as you tell now other people your testimony, do you believe that that same God that protected you and delivered you in the past, that he can do it again? Because he believed in what he said. He said, I know that God's going to deliver me. I know that he's going to protect me. I'm ashamed to go and ask the king for something that I said that the Lord is going to go in and provide for me. And what did he say? He said, the good hand of God is upon those who seek him. And if they were seeking him, then he was going to believe that God was going to provide for them. I don't have to go ask people. I don't have to get desperate. I don't have to get anxious. I can't pray and worry at the same time. Because once I pray, I'm giving it over to God. And that means I'm not praying to God and seeking God and fasting God. And then I'm going to go and say, here, king, can you give me an escort? No, he's saying, I'm really going to trust God. And I'm going to go and pull myself and maybe even be vulnerable because the good hand of God is upon me. You know how you get the good hand of God upon you? How you get his hand upon you, the hand of God upon you? I like the word upon you. Is when you humble yourself under it, then it can, become, it can come upon you. You want the hand of God upon you, then humble yourself under the hand of God. Again, it goes back to humility. It goes back to seeking God. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says this, Humble yourselves, what does he say? Under the mighty hand of God. Isn't that amazing? You want to get under the mighty hand of God? You want the hand of God to be upon you? Then you have to humble yourself under His hand. Lord, I don't know. I humble myself under your hand. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. And then when it says this, look at When you're humbled under the mighty hand of God, the next verse in 1 Peter, you know what it said? I'm humbled under the mighty hand of God now. I humbled myself under His hand. I'm submitted under His hand. Then it says, cast your cares upon Him for He cares for you. What a promise. What a promise. That's where we want to be. That's where the, the, the coordinates of the longitude and the latitude of your life want to be under the mighty hand of God. Because there, in that place, when I humble myself under the mighty hand of God, when I humble myself under the mighty hand of God, I can cast my cares upon Him because I know He cares for me. And when you can cast your cares upon Him, you know that there is so much importance in seeking the Lord. There's so much safety in seeking the Lord. There's so much protection in seeking the Lord because I've humbled myself under the mighty hand of God. And in that, under His hand, there is protection and safety. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29, Moses had told the people that the Lord now is saying to them, He's saying, when you go and you serve other gods and you're exiled and they have power over you, but when you seek me from that place of exile, but when you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him. If you seek Him with all your heart and if you seek Him with all your soul. And this is what they're doing. They're seeking the Lord with all their heart and with all their soul. Is this the way you're seeking the Lord? You always know when you, you, you're really hungry for God, when you're willing to fast. <laughs> That's when it shows you're hungry for God. Because you're saying, I'm more hungry for God than I'm hungry for food. I'm more hungry for God right now than I'm hungry for recreational things. I'm, that, that's when it shows a real hunger for God. 
And I'll tell you, when you have that mindset, when you're really hungry and desperate for God, they're saying, I'm willing to put these things aside. You will be able to, in the Lord, through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, you will be able to go long hours without now spending time in that thing or eating. You will be able to go long hours because you have singly minded, separate yourself and saying, I'm hungry more for God than I am for this. What are you hungry more for today? It says here in verse 22, that the hand of God is upon those who seek Him, but His power and His wrath are against. Now, His hand is for those that seek Him, but that same hand is also against those who forsake Him. He's confident here in what He said. He's confident that God is going to protect, that God is going to guide, and that God's going to provide. He is confident in this, so He's saying, I'm not going to go ask man what I know can come from God. In verse 23, so we fasted again and entreated or implored or begged or pleaded here, here, our God for this. And he answered our prayer. Have you seen your prayer answered recently? It's here, it happens in verse 23 as you fast and you entreat. That word entreat means with a fervent passion to take care of us. We prayed with serious attention. We prayed with serious purpose here, with serious zeal. And then what did he do in verse 23? And he answered our prayer. Has God answered your prayer? Have you noticed that the times that he answers your prayer are the times where you, had, you were fasting, you were praying, and you were waiting, and you were saying, Lord, break me, and you were desperate for an answer to your prayer. And it said that when we fasted, and when we prayed and entreated, and the Lord answered our prayer. This is amazing. Can we fast and we pray so God can answer our prayers can, to see a, a mighty work of the Holy Spirit? You see, when you fast and you pray, it gives the Holy Spirit more space to speak to you and for the, for the, God, for the Holy Spirit to move. In Acts 13, 2, it says that the church were ministering now to the Lord and they started to fast. They were praying to the Lord and they started to fast and then the Holy Spirit said something. That's amazing. They were fasting, they were praying, the Holy Spirit said something. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Paul and Barnabas here, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them. You see, before you can minister for Him, you have to first minister to Him. You know how you minister to Him? Through prayer and fasting. Lord, we want to come and minister to you, be ministered by you, so that we can minister for you, and you can minister through us. You know what they're doing? They're learning that the hand of God is better. That the hand of God is better than anything that Babylon can offer. Fasting is better than anything that Babylon can offer. Praying is better than anything that Babylon can offer. That is the answer. That is the recipe. That is the prescription here. These are the ingredients to an answer to your prayer. Earnestly seeking and fervently asking God to answer your prayer so the Holy Spirit can move. And he says in verse... 24, and I separated now. That's what the Holy Spirit does now. After the fasting and prayer, 12 leaders of the priests of Sherebiah, Hashbiah, and the 10 of their brethren with them, and waited out, says to them, the silver, the gold, and the articles, the offering for the house of God, which the king and his counselors and the princes and all who were present had offered. He had the Levites, some of the Levites and priests come, and they started to weigh on a scale all the offering, and they started to weigh on the scale all the gold and the silver and the articles. You know what he's doing here? I love what Ezra does. 
As he starts to get an accountability for every single amount that he has, that he's going to take. And look what he tells him. Let's weigh it on a scale. Let's make sure that we know how much we have. So that when we get there, we have that same amount. <laughs> look what he says here. And they weighted it into their hands, 650 talents of silver. Silver articles weighting 100 talents and 100 talents of gold. 20 gold basins worth 1,000 drachmas. And two vessels of fine polished bronze, precious as Gold, here it says. Look, and what is he telling them? They're going to be in charge of transporting these gifts to the temple of gold and silver. But look what he tells them in verse 28. Look, at, I'm putting these things that are for God's house. You're going to serve in God's house. I'm going to put an instrument in your hand to serve in God's house. I'm going to let you be the greeter here. I'm going to, you're going to be the children's ministry. Now the Ezra, the Holy Spirit's teaching. But he reminds them, as I give you this responsibility to do this, to transport this, I'm giving you the responsibility, but I need you to understand this in verse 28. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord. Holiness. If I'm going to give you the responsibility, you have to remember that you are holy. You're touching holy things. And the only people that ought to be touching holy things, that's the prerequisite, that's the requirement, is that you maintain yourself holy. You can't touch the holy things of God's house and not maintain yourself holy. He says, you are holy to the Lord. The articles are holy also. It's interesting when you come to God's house that everything that's here is God's. It's not ours. And it's, it's holy unto the Lord here. The children's ministry classroom, the kids in there, they're holy unto the Lord. That means that anyone that comes into contact with any of the ministry that's here, we must remain holy unto the Lord. Here it says, And the gold, the free will offering to the Lord God of your fathers, everything is holy. Therefore you must be holy as well. You see in Second Chronicles chapter 23, verse 6, the Lord tells them, all the, No one's going to enter the house in the Holy of Holies but the Levites, because they are holy to the Lord. And in verse 29 here of Ezra chapter 8, it says, Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers of the houses of Israel and Jerusalem. In the chambers of the house of the Lord. I want you to watch this and I want you to keep this. When God entrusts you with finances, when God entrusts you with talents, when God entrusts you with gold, He says, I want you to weigh it right here. And I want you to take, watch it and I want you to keep this, this instrument, this present, this gift. And I want you to make sure that you watch it and you keep it because you're going to weigh it again when we get to the house of God. Isn't that interesting that when God gives it to us, He knows how much He gave it to us? And, and not only how you present is important, but also what you present is important. And He's saying, I want you to, to make sure that you watch it and you keep it because we're going to wait again for accountability. What does that mean? That we have to be faithful to God in everything. We have to show even financial faithfulness unto the Lord. With everything that He has given us, is watch and keep it until I tell you now again to weigh it. So the priests and the Levites received the silver, the gold, and the articles by way to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. They were being now faithful with what God had given them. They received the responsibility. They had to remain holy because that was holy. And we will be as faithful as we think God is holy. The more that you fear God, the more faithful you're going to be. If you don't have a right relationship with the Lord, you're not going to want to be faithful. And it says, And then we departed from the river of Ahava on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of God was upon us, and He delivered us from the hand of our enemy. Look at this. The Lord delivered them. 
from the ambush along the road, not only delivered us from the enemy, but also delivered us from the attacks of the enemy as they trusted God and God was faithful to deliver them. And so we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. They arrived there because of the good hand that was upon them. What did the Lord do in verse 31? He delivered them from the enemy and He delivered them from the attacks of the enemy here. Now verse 33, on the fourth day of the, the silver here, and the gold and the articles were weighted in the house of God by the hand of uh, Merimoth, the son of Uriah the priest. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. With them were Levites, Josabad, and the son of Jeshua, and Ohadadah, the son of Benai. You see what they do here in verse 33? They go and they actually weigh them. They say, look, this is exactly what we weighed it before we came. Now we're weighing it after. They're staying accountable to what the Lord gave them to take to the house with the number and the weight of everything. All the weight was written down at that time. They were accountable even to the number. And then the children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from captivity, offered the burnt offerings to God of Israel, 12 bulls. Now they offered here 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 7 lambs, and 12 male goats as a sin offering. And all was burnt was a burnt offering to the Lord, a sin offering and a burnt offering. You know what happens when you pray and you fast? It leads you to repentance. It leads you to repentance. And now you start to offer sin offerings and burnt offerings. The, the, the burnt offerings were a general offering that we were saying, Lord, we repent. And these sin offerings were for specific sins that were committed. They came to the house of God to give, but they also came to the house of God to repent. And they said, here are the sin offerings. We want to take care of the real root issue. We don't want to just come serve. We want to also come and repent with these burnt offerings and these sin offerings. We want to address the issue and the specific reasons of what's taking place in our lives. And it says, and they delivered, verse 36, the king's orders to the kings, the satraps, and the governors in the region beyond the river. So they gave support to the people in the house of God. Now they delivered this entire gift. And you see that this reminds us that now Ezra, what does he come to do? He comes to bring in the word of God. But he does it the right way. How does he do it? He does it by going the way of prayer. He does it by going the way of fasting. You want to do it the right way? Then go the way of prayer and go the way of fasting. Because that's when the hand of God will guide you, protect you, provide for you, and deliver for you. Uh, deliver you from your enemies. In Ezra chapter 7 verse 6, what it said, that the king granted him his request because of the hand of God that was upon him. In Ezra 7 chapter 9, last week, what did it say? That Ezra arrives now in Jerusalem because of the good hand that was upon him. In Ezra 7 28, Ezra has courage because of the good hand that's upon him. Ezra 8.18, he now was upstanding Levites that are provided now because of the good hand that's upon him. Ezra 8.22, we understand that all those who seek God have His good hand upon Him for good. In Ezra 8.31, they were delivered from the enemy and from the ambush because of the good hand that was upon them. Think about historically how the good hand of God has been upon us. But those who seek the Lord, the good hand is upon, the hand of God is good upon those who seek the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we ask right now, Lord, 
that you would guide us and that you would protect us, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would move us to fasting. Lord, we are set out, we have pursued to seek you, God. And in pursuing that, Lord, we automatically are subject to many attacks. But I pray right now, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, that you let us prepare ourselves for this journey of ministry. We can't do it without prayer and fasting. It's impossible. I pray, Lord, that we would abstain from anything that gets in the way of prayer. Lord, lead us to fast so your Holy Spirit can speak, so your Holy Spirit can move, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that in the midst of attacks, Lord, that we would look to you in prayer and fasting. That is the only way of safety and protection and guidance, God. This we ask, Lord, in your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.